basic instructions before leaving earth. This is Bible Radio, the internet radio ministry of Calvary Chapel St. Paul in Minnesota. And this is Sunday Morning Live. Calvary Chapel St. Paul is a non-denominational church dedicated to the teaching and living out of God's Word. And now, Sunday Morning Live. to you. It is March. March 3rd. I was, Kimberly's gone. There's this March. I'm dyslectic. I put everything backwards there. So, okay, there we go. March 3rd. Hey, I got a greeting for you. Brother Bill. Uh, well, I'll just let the video speak for itself. You ready for this video, this audio here? All right. Hey, everyone. I'm uh, visiting my, uh, my prayer warrior, the guy who's been praying for me for years, and uh, had a little mishap, so he's looking for a miracle like I had here. So this is Brother Bill I always keep referring to, and uh, we'll go from there. Word of advice, do not, do not, do not, do not boil your feet. They don't come out very well. Um, I accidentally burnt them trying to get the nails soft for the VA nurse to trim me up. Anyway, um, let's see if God will do the same thing for me that he did for Chick. Get all the skin to grow back miraculously, and we can chase them around and holler. It's a miracle, and they'll deny it because they're all men of science, right? <laughs> hey, bless you all. Praise God. Thank you for your prayers. Well, that's what we're praying for, man. So that's my brother Bill I always talk about. And uh, we're maybe I'm growing my beard so I can look like him too, man. All right. Shake a shave the senator. All right, man. All right. Keep praying. All right. So pray for brother Bill. Saw him yesterday. But I went to, he's in the, I know exactly where he is. He's on the fifth floor of the burn unit at Regents Hospital. I check into the counter, and they go, hey, do you, do you know where it is? I said, I only know it from the emergency room. So they had to show me how to go from the emergency on a gurney up there. And they still remember the doctor. And they still remember the doctor saying the body has a way of writing itself. It's a miracle. And it's like, it's you. You're back. So uh, it's good. But that doctor has retired. So, uh, um, hey, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this morning. And I just ask God that you be Lord and lifted up. And we leave here today more on fire, more convicted, more committed, more submitted, more in love with you than when we came here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to try a, a, a different version. Uh, the Legacy Standard Bible. Legacy Standard Bible. Give it a whirl. Go to blueletterbible.org uh, and uh, click on that version. Um, I'm going to read through it and uh, this next year. And so it's, a, it's a, supposed to be an accurate translation of like the King James, New King James, and the NSAB. Uh, I still like the King James, and I'll, I'll show you a verse why I like the King James. But uh, Legacy Standard Bible, so I'd encourage you, uh, get the cheaper version. Go, go online and, and donate to blueletterbible.org because that's where a lot of my study materials are, so I'd encourage you to keep donating to them. Uh, I need that to go without commercials and stuff. But uh, you can go different versions there. Legacy Standard Bible. Uh, Ken Ham of Creation uh, Institute uh, really recommends it. It's in their bookstore. 
Uh, but uh, Legacy Standard Bible, give it a whirl. Give it a test drive and tell me what you think about it. But I'm going to try that today here. So now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of Jews. So we know this is what Paul's doing. Wherever there's a synagogue, remember that if there's at least 10 devout Jewish men called a minion uh, that want to meet in their, all the dispersed cities around the world, and they want to be devout, they want to keep kosher, and they have a set of Torah scrolls, they can form a synagogue. Synagogue should have never even existed. And again, this is rabbinical Judaism. Uh, and so, but he knows they're there, and he's going to go into them. And, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them uh, for three Sabbaths. So how long do we know he was there? About three weeks, three, three or four weeks. So he's there. And he went into them for the three Sabbaths and he, with them, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Very good. You're good Bible students here. Listen, if you do not know how to share Jesus, the Messiah, from the Old Testament, you, you need to get on it. Because there's nothing new in the New Testament. Everything in the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and everything in the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And so here it is. And listen, through the book of Acts, seven times the gospel will be preached. Seven times the clear simplicity of the gospel message of repentance of sins, of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. That's it. So let's just keep it simple. So he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and setting before them that the Christ, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. And he had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is that Christ. So he's going to the Jews. They, they're waiting for the Messiah. They all know about the Messiah. And yet he says, this is that Christ. Now listen, this is 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what happened in Jerusalem 20 years earlier is pretty well known. And he says, I'm proclaiming this is that Christ. You already know about it. Now remember, Paul's going to go to the Gentiles who, again, who know nothing. They're pantheists. They believe in many gods. And we're going to see something here also about their philosophy. And to suffer again and rise from the dead. Well, that's just... That's just Psalm 22. If you just wanted to take one psalm that's clear and succinct about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he would say on the cross, who would be there and who would he be and how he'd be buried, and that's right there. But again, Isaiah 53, as I share with my Jewish friends, they don't look at the Messiah coming as suffering first. They they see him, well, how we're going to see him as we come back and reign and rule with him, triumphant in glory with, with a sword and a scepter and and a, and a crown, and, but yet they don't see him as the suffering Messiah as we see in Isaiah 53. Just Jesus, whom I am preaching to you, is, uh, is, is this Christ. And so here, uh, he's going to tell him here something like this. He's, uh, we see here, um, let me go back here to my notes here. He says, this is that Christ whom we, who I proclaim. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and not a few of the prominent or the few of the leading women there. We're going to see that this is happening with, with Paul. Some are going to reject him. Some are going to reflect and others are going to receive. Your question is here today for you is, which one are you? Are you going to reject this? 
Or are you just going to merely reflect upon it or will you receive him? And so it will be presented to you. So seven times through the book of Acts, the simplicity of the gospel is being taught. The repent, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins and lives to be our Lord. But the Jews uh, becoming jealous... Uh, taking along some of the wicked men from the marketplace and forming a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. Don't know if Jason is a relative of Paul or not, but this seems to be a prominent person. And Jason, and they were seeking to bring them out uh, out to the assembly. This is why I like the King James. I like verse, it says, but the Jews believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sorts. That's why I like the King James, man. We can just look at wicked people and think of who's wicked. Well, we can look at this current administration in our own state. Whatever. We can look at wicked. But I like the, the lewd fellows of baser sort and gathered a company and set the city in an uproar. So, I, again, it's, it'll, it'll take me a while to get used to the legacy standard Bible there, but I'm bilingual so I can read. Uh, I'm trilingual. I can do the NIV as well, New King James. But, but they were jealous and taken along lewd fellows of baser sorts. Verse 6, And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here today. That's what I want. I I don't know what your goal in in life is, but that's mine right here. You know what my greatest fear is? You want to know what my greatest fear is? Knock, knock. Chick. That's my greatest fear. All right? That's my greatest fear. I think there's two types of people in this world, those who know chick and those who will. That's right? You know that too, right? But this is my goal. I mean, think about this, that the whole world's upset because of what Paul's doing? Maybe it's already happened in my family. It's already happened in the community. It's already happened in some of the workplace. But that I would upset the whole world, that again, with this gospel, this good news, Hey, we're going to see later in the book of Acts, there's some Jewish uh, exorcists and they're trying to cast out a demon. They said, we adjure you by the God of this Paul that you come out of this man. And the demons look at these exorcists and goes, this Jesus I know and this Paul I know, who are you? And they whumped on him and they beat him and they they ran out naked. They ran out naked. But here's, here's what the body of Christ, here's what the Christians do. They're running out of town naked And then some Christian group comes up and says, we see you have some experience with exorcism. Would you like to be our guest speakers at our next conference? You see, this Jesus I know and this Paul I know, but who are you? And so when they did not find him, they started beating on Jason. And Jason, because, and Jason has welcomed them and they act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another King Jesus. These are the Jews, by the way. Some of the prominent Greeks Some of them are coming and says, we only have one kid. And now, we already know what happened in Philippi. We already know that 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 was a, if you were in Philippi, you were in Rome. Now they're going uh, again here uh, to Thessalonica, and they're going to be going all the way through. And we're going to find here that these are some of the colonies. But again, they're saying we only have one king, but Caesar. These are the Jews. These are the same, same accusations that they brought against Jesus to have him crucified via Pontius Pilate and the Romans. Saying we only have one king but, but Caesar. And, and Pontius Pilate knows that. He goes, well, you, 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 you folks are arguing all the time. 
If you know something about Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the only conquered nation, Israel, where the Romans left their capital alone. They tried bringing in all their images. They tried taking over the Temple Mount, and the Jewish population revolted. So Caesarea is the seat of government there on the coast. And so it was, it was too much hassle. So they just, hey, we're going to leave Jerusalem alone, make sure there's no powder keg there, make sure it doesn't explode, and just keep the peace there. That's all the governors needed to do. And they knew that Caesar wasn't their king, but this is the accusation, saying there's another King Jesus. And they disturbed the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received the bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Listen, you're just going to write this down, follow the money. Okay, can I help you right there? Let's go right here, all right? Follow, put it in your notes, the money. That's what's going to happen, folks. Just follow the money. You can see that. You can see that what's happening there with these folks, and now of the lewd and the baser sort. It says, now these were, uh, now when they departed here, um, and the brothers immediately uh, sent Paul and Silas away at night to Berea, and they, there they arrived, that they went into the synagogue of the Jews, and so now another synagogue. So we know there's devout religious men in this place, and they're coming to the synagogues. We know it's, it's a setup. I know that they're waiting for the Messiah. I know, uh, and Paul's like, I know their scriptures. I know what they're looking for. I'm going to show them, and he's going to reason with them. But something different happens in Berea. Look at verse 11, and this is my favorite verse. Uh, verse 11, this says, don't believe anything Pastor Chick says, but search it out for yourself. That's a paraphrase, but look, now these were of more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. What scriptures? Well, it wasn't the Old Testament to them. It was the Tanakh. It was their Bible. It was there. Whether you were ultra-Orthodox, where you believe in the Pentateuch, only the first five books of the Old Testament, and then the Psalms and Proverbs, as uh, the, uh, the ultra-Orthodox would do, they said, oh, we only believe in the, the Pentateuch. Uh, or you believe the whole Bible, which is all the way. Listen, the Old Testament ends in Second Chronicles, not Malachi. That's just how our publishers have put the Bibles there in that type of order. And so here, they examine it. And when it when says examining, it means to judge, to inspect, to tear apart, to make sure daily. Not just, hey, I'll get back to it daily, because they're with them daily. They're coming and reasoning with the scriptures. And if you do not know how to reason from the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, do you know Psalm 22? Do you know Isaiah 53? Do you know Genesis 3.15? These are, again, the first prophecy and the utterance that, that a salvation is going to come and it's going to be through a Messiah and it's going to be miraculous. And so here, therefore many of them believed along with not a few prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, also they came there as well, shaking up and disturbing the crowds. Again, this word examine, to judge, to tear apart, uh, to, to scrutinize. So again, just don't take my word for it. Uh, look for it yourself. And then the other thing is, where's Berea? Uh, 
43 miles away, 43 miles away, at best, at, at quickest speed, a two-day walk. And you got to camp along the way. Two days, there's so, so, there, so there's time in Berea. Word gets back, hey, man, you should hear what the, the synagogue. Maybe someone from that synagogue goes to Thessalonica and says, hey, man, we got this guy, Paul. And, and I'm a believer now. I know Jesus. And he's the Messiah. Maybe they go back to that synagogue. I don't know. But somehow word got back to Thessalonica quite a few days later. And these guys are so incensed, so upset that you're going to hoof it two days on foot, 43 miles? How, How angry do you have to be to stay that angry? I mean, it's just like that. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I got to walk more than a mile. I guess I can deal with it. We're good. I just, you know, walk a mile in his shoes, two miles. I mean, think how angry you have to stay and get with others that, you, that you're going to go there. Well, man, think about in your own life right now. How many of you are still angry at something that happened to you? You're a Christian now. You should forgive and let go of those things. How many of you are just still hanging on to things? Upset about a dad that, uh, or a mom or a brother or a sister or... Uh, a boss, a coworker, uh, whatever. You're still angry about it. They got over on you, okay? They got over on you. How angry? How long do you have to walk in that? This is how angry they were. They walked two days and 43 miles and stayed that angry. Let me ask you something. Has your God made you this angry? And so here, then immediately, the brothers sent Paul out. Seems to be a, a pattern here. Go to the Jews, preach there. They don't like him. Hey, we're gonna send you out. Then immediately the brothers sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, another 35 miles away from Berea. And understand, he left uh, Thessalonica and went to a hick town, went to Berea. It's, it's not only just 43 miles from, from uh, Thessalonica. It's up in the hills. It's away. It's not on the Ignatian or the Appian Way, the, the Roman road. Rome built 53,000 miles of roads, and they like to go from point A to point B. They like it to be as straight as possible. You can see some of the Roman roads today. In fact, when you go with us to Israel, you can see the part of the Roman roads known as the road to Emmaus. You can still see to this day, 2,000 years later, you can still see some of the Roman roads that are still traveled on to this day. And so here, uh, they sent him out to the sea. So not only leaves Thessalonica, goes up to Berea, but this little town up in the hills, but he's 35 miles away from the sea. And so here, they immediately, the brother sent Paul to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Remember, Paul was sent from Antioch, commissioned by the Holy Ghost, confirmed by the brothers and sisters there, sent out to go and to lead people to Jesus Christ, and then to form these churches. And I'm looking at the church right now. This building is not the church. You're the church. And getting them together. He says, leaving them there. So I'll go. I'll take one for the team. I'll go this way. And so Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. So it took quite some time. So Athens, oh man, look what happens to Paul in Athens. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Uh, Again, provoked, stirred, heartbroken, looking at this. Again, 
Athens, the seat of not just philosophy, but the, the, uh, of where we get our, our Senate, our Congress, where we get law, republic uh, again, but now it's going to be filled with plenty of Epicureans and Stoics and other, other type of philosophers. But they're full of idols. Then when I have taken the tour to Israel and we've gone to Greece as an extension, and, and it's, it's that way even today just full of idols. You can see the, the Pantheon, you can see the Acropagus, uh, the marketplace, you can see everything. And they're just ruins, but man, how they elevated all this stuff and this great mind and great thinking. So he was reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. So there's something about Judaism about having one God and having a testimony of God because they've proved that God exists. It wasn't just a, a mere belief, a, a blind faith. There are things in the Jews' existence that makes people believe that there is a God. It's one of the things that drove me to try to understand why do Jews even exist? And why is the world, in my time, I'm 61 now, but why in the 60s and 70s as I grew up, why is the world so incensed and upset? Why is Israel in the news every day? And not just recently, since October 7th and that massacre that uh, was perpetrated upon them. Why are they in the news every day? Why in my lifetime was there a, a six-day war and a three-day war uh, in, in, uh, in 67, then in 73? And I lived through that and just being curious and then realizing, again, going even as I studied history as I got older and just going back to World War II, why were six million Jews three million gypsies and another couple of million infirmed and uh, uh, mental retardation and any other uh, weakness of society. So here, why were six million Jews exterminated? The, and, and then to do my history to realize that the Jewish population is the most persecuted people group in all of the world's history combined. Take all the other people groups together, put them all together, and they're just a drop in the bucket compared this was brought home to me in the 1980s when the, the dictator premier the, of China was meeting with then Menachem Begin and asking with him, asking him, says, we have the same amount of history, 6,000 years. China has the same amount of history, written, oral, and traditional history as the Jewish population. He goes, why is there 1 billion Chinese? And at that time, there was less than 9 million Jews. I think it was like 7 million Jews. There's 12 million Jews now in the world. He goes, why? And then Menachem Begin says, because we've been killed by every generation, by every group of people that misunderstand us and blame us for things. Why? Oh, man. Well, I want you to read ahead, but I'll start the book of Revelation <laughs> in October when we're back in the building after, as my granddaughter says, after grass church during the summer, but... Listen, they're searching the scriptures. Now what happens here, there's these God-fearing Gentiles and they're in the marketplace and every day with those who happen to be present. And also some of the Epicureans, the Stoic philosophers were there conversing with him. And so the Epicureans, this is kind of the way that I was raised as a Christian scientist. The Epicureans believed in everything the world has was made up of atoms. The metaphysical, Religion's really not an important place in our lives there as a Christian scientist, that everything was governed by physical laws. The best way to achieve happiness and pleasure, therefore, was to submit to the laws of nature, live simply and virtuously without burdening oneself with worldly cares, and do everything to avoid physical 
pain. You see, as I was raised a Christian scientist, sin is just a mistake that makes you feel bad. People didn't understand this, and that's why uh, my parole officer, at the, or probation officer at the age of nine, uh, first one on my block to have one, uh, said, this, this is a, you're, you're, maybe you're a sociopath, maybe you're a psychopath. We, we don't understand. We don't understand how an eight, nine-year-old uh, could do this crime and, and not think bad about it. Well, th- the truth is, that's when I first got caught. It was much earlier in my life. School officials and others just saying there's something wrong with them, but they didn't understand the way that I was being raised. This is that Epicurean life that's still even here today. And then we see something about the Stoics. Oh, man, these are your hippy-dippy, dippy hippies, man. These are your pot smokers. These are the, you know, uh, you know, legalized marijuana group here, man. This is the Stoics. On the other hand, believe that God was everywhere, man, in nature. I understand as an Epicurean, as a, as a, as an Epicurean, as a metaphysical man, we, we got stoned too, but, uh, but everywhere in nature, in the universe, and in man, and therefore to live in harmony with the universe, one should strive towards the godly perfection of character and of submission to the divine will. This was achieved through virtuous living and self-control. Man conquered the world by conquering himself. Evil happened when man allowed passions to control him. Marcus Aurelius and some other Caesars adopted this Stoic uh, philosophy. It's even around today, folks. And, and you can misconstrue. You can, and it, both of them are self-centered. Both of them. And so here, these philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Talking about an invisible God, but came in the form of a man. And, and what's this thing about sin? Do you understand, for me, the hardest thing was to convince me I was a sinner? Because, again, my lifestyle was like, I avoid physical pain. Well, I'll cause you pain, but I'm going to avoid physical pain. And I'm just going to try to live by my own moral code. Religion, church, had nothing, to, no say in my life. It was metaphysical. I was, it was all about energy. And if I ceased to exist, my energy would be dissipated to the universe somewhere. That's how I was raised. I was my own God. How would you like to be my school teacher in fourth grade? And you have a little fourth grader thinking, I'm God. Really? Some of you were raised normally. Your moms and dads told you about the boogeyman to scare you to keep you home at nights, right? Mine was like, if you're a critical thinker, some great entity will suck you out of this universe. How do you think I was raised, all right? The, the boogeyman would have been comfortable, all right? But here, who's this idle babbler? Which, what does he say? Others. He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Let's keep it simple there. The simplicity of the gospel. Repent and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord because he's the only one who could pay for our sins and you are a sinner, um, I'll share with those who are going through PWT. You want to hear it some other time? I've played it before on our Bible radio. But I, 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 the reason why I got a, a smartphone, went from a flip phone to a smartphone, is because I wanted to be more mobile with my mom who came to live with us. And I recorded uh, dozens of conversations. It used to be when she was in her home, I'd have my laptop always ready and have recording readies, and I would just record her when she'd come out of her room about 1 in the morning, and we'd just start talking, whatever time... Uh, uh, you know, part of the century she was in. Sometimes we were in the 60s and 70s and 50s and, and I would just record her and sometimes she's in reality and 
But for 38 years, I could never get past sin with my mom. And the same thing happened to her that happened to me years earlier. When I finally cracked, when I finally just gave the possibility that maybe I was mistaken, uh, wrong. I was more wrong than less wrong. I had, and I was a sinner. Literally within 20, 30 minutes, I was giving my life to Jesus Christ. The same thing happened to mom when, when she finally broke and realized that this is possible. And it's interesting what she finally broke on because I was able to confront her with a behavior of hers. And, and she admitted that was wrong. And so within 20 minutes, same as me. So this Epicurean life, this death and this resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the uh, uh, Agropagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are speaking and this is that thing, again, this... Uh, he gets us. Let me, let me give you what's happening in society today. Let me show you this video there. Let me show you uh, of, of what's happening here. And you might not understand this, but uh, just give me seven minutes here. He gets us. He gets us campaign. He gets us campaign. He gets us campaign. He gets us ad campaign. He gets us Christian campaign. He gets us is a Christian ad campaign funded by Bill McKendry and Jason Vanderground under the firm known as Brand Haven. They've spent millions of dollars on billboards, social media, and most notably, the Super Bowl. Jason Vanderground explains that in 2021, they began to build upon a single problem statement. So March of 2021, and it just came to us, and it was like, how did the world's greatest love story become known as a hate group? As a hate group. Theological advisor to the campaign, Ed Stetzer, explains that both Bill and Jason felt like Christianity had gained a bad reputation. But the He Gets His campaign was started by a uh, group of uh, Christian business leaders who were concerned that the perception of Christianity had suffered. They see it as much more uh, unfortunate, uh, hypocritical, judgmental, kind of discriminatory. They had a burden that Christianity really had been, has been misrepresented in culture. From that research, what we understand in our faith journey for, for somebody who is spiritually open but skeptical is they first have to get over this respect bridge. We're trying to raise the respect and personal relevancy of Jesus. As humble as it may sound, their mission to make the world respect Christianity seems to go against what the Bible says in John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. With their new mission in mind, they hired an advertising agency named Lerma to help give them a name. And with the help of Brigham Young University graduate David Mooring, they did exactly that. I looked at the word Jesus and saw the word us at the end. I circled that part. I said, wait a second, he gets us. We're all in his story. When I heard this, I couldn't help but imagine a self-centered view of Jesus. And there are others who feel the same way, as Ali Bestucky says. I'm not on board with He Gets Us, even as a slogan, is because it makes Jesus about you. Trying to create this relatable Jesus who is just like you. Creating a self-serving Jesus is one thing, 
but practicing religious pluralism is a whole other game. Understanding that David Mooring is a BYU graduate would also lead me to presume that he's a Mormon. However, I can neither confirm or deny any religious affiliation. I can, although, confirm that he is actively writing for the He Gets Us website, most notably the article titled Jesus Was a Refugee. They are comparing him to the immigrants who are illegally crossing over the border to say Jesus is just like you. Well, Jesus was not a refugee. We humanized Jesus too, and that must have been intentional, right? Like there's not a lot of uh, conversion in the sense of, you know, you need to follow Jesus in order to have him as your Lord and Savior and, you know, receive salvation. There isn't any of that in the message. Jason Vanderground states, by design, our media messages focus on his humanity since we've learned these resonate with the widest possible audience. The founders polled thousands of Americans asking them what they thought about Jesus, and then with the data in mind, curated a campaign based upon what they wanted to hear. Strategically, we did a lot of research before before we did this campaign. We actually uh, interviewed over 8,000 people. We did five months of research, just doing nationally quantitative studies, talking to the American people and asking them about a whole host of things. We actually did an exact replica of uh, the beliefs in the United States to be able to really understand what's going on in this country. Your faith, what do you think? Jesus, culture, what issues, what the, you know, just to really understand them well. They found that people were, there were, there were open and curious skeptics who were open to consider who Jesus was. But who is Jesus? If he's just a man, then you've stripped him of his deity, and that's only half the gospel. It's not what these preachers say that really worries me. It's what they don't say. They never talk about sin, righteousness, and judgment, and that's what really concerns me. Where is their love? Where is their faithfulness to preach the word of God? Maybe the reason this resonates with people is because you don't always have to be accountable to a man, but you have to be accountable to your creator. The founders of He Gets Us are utilizing what Ed Stetzer likes to call pre-evangelism, which they believe will help skeptics and quote-unquote explorers receive the idea of Jesus in a more comfortable manner in hopes that they would visit the website and go straight to the Bible reading plan. If you like pre-evangelism, you probably will get the He Gets His cam Campaign okay. more. It's a conversation starter. So mm. the frame, the person of Jesus, then to the website, then to the Bible reading plan. I decided to read all 14 chapters of the He Gets Us book. I even did the reading plan on version and scoured the website for the gospel. And truth be told, I didn't find it anywhere. I did, however, find a bunch of strategically placed progressive talking points and buzzwords like activism, justice, women's equality, an entire segment dedicated to teaching about unconscious bias against racial minorities, and a backhanded comment in chapter 14 comparing conservatives to Pharisees. All this kind of surprised me at first because they claimed to be apolitical, but the more the more that I learned about Ed Stetzer and his political leanings, it all started to make sense. Keep in mind, he's the theological advisor to the entire campaign. Ed Stetzer, he was the one that moderated the three or four on one thing that Vody was involved with back in like 2014. And you could tell then that if he was an airplane, he'd have two left wings. There's a lot to be said about Ed Stetzer and his not-so-hidden progressive agenda. For instance, his heavy-handed position on jab mandates, claiming that anybody who disagrees is a conspiracy theorist, his obsession with fighting against white evangelicals claiming that they hate immigrants, or this goofy article that he wrote for Vox titled, Being Pro-Life Means Caring About All Human Life, that includes being pro-refugee. I mean, it makes sense that Ed would be working with the He Gets Us team, being that I've heard Bill say some similar things. Being an evangelical today is characterized as being a white Republican, right? 
we got, we, got to, we got to lose all that. After many hours of research into this video and into the campaign, I don't believe that Bill and Jason are radical progressives with a hidden agenda. They're just a couple of ad executives in the Christian market, and sadly, they're willing to downplay the gospel for the sake of a return on investment. The campaign's website avoids traditional religious language and opts instead to tag multiple posts with hashtags like activist, justice, or inclusive to make Jesus more appealing to younger generations who resonate with popular jargon like centering on the marginalized. The fatal flaw in this sort of approach leaves those on the left believing you're covert conservatives, while those on the right feel like you're pushing left-wing propaganda. I've heard the He Gets Us campaign is funded by anti-religious right type folks, but those are the people most angry about the ad. Who is this for? This ad campaign is such a Rorschach test. Everyone hates it for a different reason. I find it humorous that a commercial funded by Christians can do more to divide people on the intent of Christianity than any atheist could ever hope to do. My hope is that He Gets Us would begin to preach the full gospel, because I truly believe that they can be redeemed. But for now, he gets us is what evangelism looks like when corporations play Christianity. That's in Acts 17:11. So he gets us has been out for quite some time. I've seen the billboards. It's a lot of unintended consequences there. So this is nothing new if you've been around and you've seen it there. But do an Acts 17:11. Scrutinize it. Tear it apart. In other words. Whatever you believe and we're into, it should be able to withstand criticism. Everything that I'm saying here today, I should be, and I'm publicly saying it, should be able to withstand whatever you're going to bring towards me, and I should be able to show you via Acts 17, 11, that I'm going to scrutinize, I'm going to judge, I'm going to examine the scriptures to find out if these things are true or not. So the same thing, anything that's put out there, we should be able to do Acts 17, 11. And so here, they come and there's this Stoic. So this is Stoicism, this is uh, Epicureanism. It's all self-centered. And again, it's, it's part of the gospel. Yes, God became man. Do you know John 1, 14? For the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory of that of the only begotten son, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. And yet, what does it go on to say? But the world rejected him. So here, there's some that are going to reject him, some are going to reflect upon it, and some are going to receive him. Which one are you here today? For we are, uh, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Liars! <laughs> they, uh, again, this Acropolis, this place is to go, it's a public speaking place. You can go into the United Kingdom, you can go to London, and you can go to Hyde Park, and there's a preaching corner that you can stand there and you can preach the gospel. Well, not so much in the U. UK anymore, but you used to be, and you could say whatever you want there. And so this is the thing. So come, 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 speaker, come, come tell us these things. And it says here that, that again, now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing uh, something newer. Tell us something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Acropolis and said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. King James will say superstitious. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Many gods. They had the gods of the earth, the sun, the moon. Uh, they, had, they had gods for everything to explain. And then and, and just in case 
just in case we forgot somebody because we don't want to upset the gods to the unknown God. And this is what he says, to an unknown God, therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Just dissed all their gods. You know, the way that I was raised... Everyone points to Jesus. As I study the, all the religions, and even mine, everyone points to Jesus, and everyone has Jesus somewhere in their, in their mix. So then when I started reading about Jesus, and I was told that, that Jesus went from the last time in the Christian Science Church, the last time we see of Jesus when he's 12 years old, and then we don't see him until he's on the scene until he's about 30. And I was told that he went to the Far East and he learned from the gurus and the yogis and the boo-boos and he learned from all of them this Eastern mysticism and all these secret things. In fact, Jesus really didn't die. He was swooned. He learned how to control his breathing and his heart rate. And that's what made them think them dead. Of course, when you put 75 to 125 pounds of embalming mummy clothes on it, I think he probably would suffocate. But that's what I was told. If that is true, then Jesus Christ transgressed all of those religions because when you read of Jesus, he says, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life, not a life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, what do you think no one means? No one comes unto the Father except through me. If he learned from the Far Eastern mystics, then he transgressed all their teachings because he's not a pantheonist. And so here, he says here, this is that God. And nor, it says here, and he made, made from one man every nation of every mankind. You know, I would encourage you to get this book, One Race, One Blood. And, and this is a great book. It'll tell you why there was slavery in the United States and around the world that still didn't exist in today. Slavery wasn't, wasn't old. But what happened in the United States? Evolutionist thinking and Darwin and stuff. Folks, we really come from Adam and Eve. We really come after a billion people are wiped out. We come from, uh, you know, Noah and his children. We're all related. We're just further apart. And we're all different here. But it's one race, one blood. Can I... Can I tell you this? It was abolitionists who got slavery taken out in the United States. America is the only nation in the world that abolished slavery. Wilbur Wilberforce in England, they took the money out of it. They took the profit out of it. And, and so 12 years later, they were able to officially say no more slavery, but they took the profit out of it. They didn't abolish slavery. Only the United States did. Why? Because of passages like this, Passages like this, and listen, if you don't realize this, and you go back to our founding fathers, by 1802, slavery was supposed to be done away with. But they put a word in there, Atlantic slave trade, because that's where it was coming. Criminals, come from a long line of criminals, would transport to Haiti, Jamaica, where Vice President Kamala Harris's uh, great-great-grandparents were slave traders. Uh, and they would bring them to Haiti and to Cuba and therefore import them. And then, and then when the abolitionists 
And those in the north saw that, they stopped that trade, so another evil, evil practice started called breeding, slave breeding. Get one race, one blood, or one. But it was those who would look at scriptures and say that he's made one man of every nation of mankind. It was when people began believing the Bible and saying, we can't have this. This needs to be done away with. And so he made him from one man to inhabit all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. They would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in, in him we live and move and exist, and even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Again, using quotes from the world and to do those things. Listen, he was able to share the gospel. This is the simplicity. The one, the one who created the universe, again, that same one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence is the same one who came to earth and died for yours and I sins. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to suppose that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the, uh, uh, by the craft and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now commanding men everywhere, everyone and everywhere, they should repent. This is a hard thing, especially for Epicureans, to say, hey man, I, I don't have any sin. Or the Stoics to say, I'm too stoned to realize I'm a sinner. I don't know. You get that? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, though a man whom he determined having furnished proof all by raising him from the dead. The most well-attested to fact in all of ancient history is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so here, now when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. In this way, Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysus, uh, the uh, Graphicite, and a woman named Demara, Demaris, and others with him. You know, some rejected, some reflected, and some received. Which one are you? Can I give you this? That Jesus Christ tells us. We know that the Apostle Paul tells us that he who knew no sin made him to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And yet that Jesus Christ needs to be our Lord. He needs to be our Savior, but he needs to be our Lord. And here's the thing. You need to be able to argue apologetics and defend the gospel. Again, sharing and trying to talk to some, uh, this one brother this week, just... I'm trying to help him just give the simplicity. All this guy wants to talk about is apocalyptic and end-timed, and he, and he puts all these terms together, and he, ha he has no clue what they're saying, and, and you got to prep, and you got to this, and you got to that, and get your guns on like that. And I'm like, but, but what about, and everybody that I know around him are just tired of listening to him. I said, what about the simplicity of the gospel? Jesus Christ. Well, you need to accept him. What does it mean to accept? I couldn't, he still cannot define it. So pray for me. I'm still trying to work with him. But as I'm preparing for this message, what is the simplicity of the gospel? And when people say, well, and I was role-play with them. I took them out to lunch. I paid for the meal so I can say whatever I want. And I said, just give me the simplicity. He says, well, you need to accept it. And you need to, well, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Well, because I believe the Bible. Well, I didn't. I was my own God. There's got to be some proof outside of does anyone here know, I'll give it to you, do you know who the 16th president of the United States is, was? 
Abraham Lincoln. Anyone here meet him? How do you know he was the 16th president of the United States? Because we have oral history. We have not just the tradition, but we have eyewitness accounts. We have his written statements. We have proof of him. We actually have one of the first x-rays where the bullet was lodged. Alexander Graham Bell invented the x-ray machine, and they were able to x-ray him and find the bullet and say, "Uh, you're not going to make it. Uh, They were able to tell him definitively. And so here's the thing that goes on with, with, with that. We have all that, and it's in the Smithsonian today. People say, well, he was. Then all we got to do is just go back another 1,800 years to Jesus Christ. We do have documentation. So Jesus Christ, living, dying, and resurrected from the dead, is not only my opinion, but it's also the opinion of Dr. Simon Greenleaf. Now, you can go to South Carolina, you can go to Simon Greenleaf School of Law. This is a, he was the royal professor of law at Harvard two centuries, back two centuries ago in the 19th century. And he's the one who wrote the trustees on evidentiary evidence. In other words, evidence that's admissible in a court of law. And so here's the thing that his students challenged him and said, disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he did. Uh, that's what he started off to do. And within a year, he came back to his law students and says there would be no, get this, unbiased jury that would look at the facts and realize that Jesus Christ lived, died, and was resurrected to. It is the most well-attested to fact of ancient history. There's documentation. There's eyewitnesses there. So you're like, well, I can't believe that. Then why do you believe Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States because it was just 175 years ago? Your faith doesn't go back 2,000 years with the exact same eyewitness account, the same documentation, the same thing to prove that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States? So here... It isn't just my opinion, but many others. Whoever tries to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ typically gets saved. And so it tells us here in Romans 10, 9, the simplicity of the gospel, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And to make Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord, you only need to do two steps. One is to repent. Right. This is seven times... Through the book of Acts, the simplicity of the gospel is you repent. That the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news, Mark 1.15. But you need to receive. And what is it to receive? I don't know. Say there was a virus. And you knew a holistic chiropractic doctor who had a tincture. And he could give you something that would combat that, that virus. And if you go to this holistic, uh, wacky, woo-woo, good friend doctor, and you go to this chiropractor, this bone crusher, and you go to him, and, and he gives you this tincture, and he wraps it in tinfoil, like the, like the one on your head. No, he wraps it, and you have to shake it, and you, and you, and you just simply hold it. Zoe, come here. Come here. You're part of the You're going to get royalties. And if I say this is it, turn around, get a picture of this. All right? Has she received it, or does she possess it? There you go. Give me, you're possessed. Come out, Jesus' name. No, you possess that. Here's the thing that comes down to whatever meal you want. You earn that one, man. All right, so what is it? Again, you have this medicine. You, you know that it's cured many others. But if you just simply hold it, you know, many people have a Bible and they hold on to them because they're going to sell it someday. They have grandma's Bible because antiques are quite the rage, Right? 
And so here they possess this knowledge, they possess, but until you receive it, until you ingest it, that's what it is to receive. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What's this mean with eat? Listen, listen, if you like somebody, you don't take them to White Castles, except Eric, I know, I understand, I understand. <laughs> I understand, that's over there. Typically, Ed will be second service, so it'll work for him too, but, but listen, you share a meal with someone, and that's what it is. This is intimate and personal. So again, some sneered, some joined him, some said we're going to reflect. But it is the th- question I ask for those of you online, are you now ready to receive Jesus Christ as Savior Lord? It's the most important decision of your life that you'll ever make. You must first, and this is the simplicity of the gospel, seven times through the book of Acts. This is how simple it is. Do you realize that you are a sinner? You must repent of your sins. Repent a U-turn on the road of life. In other words, I'm not going my way anymore. I'm making a U-turn. And that you must receive Jesus personally as your Savior and your Lord. Again, not just my opinion, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If that's you, I can lead us in a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I just ask you now to just be touching people's hearts, whether online or whether in this room right now. And this is you. Just pray in your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have provided a way for me to have a relationship with you. I realize that I am a sinner. I thank you that you are my perfect father. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. I repent and receive your perfection in exchange for my sin. In Jesus' name, I pray. If that's you, you're now a brother or sister in Christ and you're part of the body. You're now the church. This building is not the church, all right? You're now the church. And so here, you need to get involved. And I would encourage you, most assuredly I say to you, that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's what you've experienced here today. And the requirements, it's not what you can do as a Stoic, as an Epicurean. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. So now go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You need to get baptized. I encourage you to do that to identify with them. Teaching them to observe all things. What does all mean? All All things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this world. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. That could be your Jerusalem, St. Paul, your Judea, your county, your state, your nation, the uttermost parts of the world. That's the Upper Peninsula. We can get that, right? Listen, some are rejecting. Some are reflecting today. Some of you have received. I'd ask you just to continue. This is the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. Repent of your sins and receive him as Savior and Lord. Keep it simple. Don't throw all your buzzwords in there and all the other garbage and all the things. The testimony is what Jesus Christ has done for us, not what I can do. And I can't make Jesus look cool and and appeal to everybody, but I can present the simplicity of the gospel. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I ask your anointing upon each and every one of us here. Everyone has accountable here today. 
Pray for, for Brother Bill. I pray for a smooth recovery. I'd like to see another miracle that you did with me there uh, 20-some years ago in that burn unit. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for our brother. And I just praise you and thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen.